The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Today's podcast is going to be focusing on bearing your cross. It is a very common term that is used today in Christendom of bearing your cross, but I'm going to show you a few details that probably are going to reveal some misnomers in regard to what Christ really meant about bearing your cross. So many things are taken out of context in Christianity today that Jesus and some of the others said that we have come to believe them as the absolute truth. And the fact is, it is not. And so today in our podcast, which is, by the way, number 77, is entitled Identity, Terms of Endearment, and then the subtopic is going to be Bearing Your Cross. Keep in mind, this is a mini-series that is devoted to defining, explaining, and practically making use of biblical terms given to us by our Lord. We are going through an explanation time of talking about the cross, the symbols of the cross, the true meanings, authentic meanings of the cross, and what the humans have had the tendency to do to redefine the meaning of the cross. But today we're going to talk about the power of bearing your cross. Ian, if you want to come and read Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 38. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, before men I, will also, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a, person, a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Awesome. You may be seated. Okay, what is the primary message that's being communicated? And it is interesting that we had a discussion earlier about how we have the tendency to glorify our mother's flesh. Or more accurately speaking, forget our flesh and glorify our good traits. There are people that all of us run into all the time who treat their parents like they are above Jesus Christ. And if push came to shove, they are not going to deny their mother or their father, their brother or their sister or whoever over Christ. Then there's others who will deny Christ and have family first. They will not forsake family. Now Jesus is actually addressing this problem. And it is a big, big problem in the world today. So he's coming along and he's saying, Okay, I know you basically have heard that I came to bring peace. Now if you look in the world today, you will find basically the church as a whole 
is moving in the direction of peace, peace. But as Isaiah said, but there is no peace. For some reason, we just can't seem to get our arms around it. When people say, as John said, Jesus is beloved, when people say that they love you, but they hate their brother, what does John say about that? He says, for you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So that is not a topic you like to hear preached about very much. You see, this is probably the most sensitive area in the church today, and that is, you know, there's so much psychobabble that is in the world that says family first, defend your family. I know religions that will cut your head off if you insult their family. The real facts are is that Jesus behind all of that is going, I'm not telling you not to enjoy your family. But what I am telling you is that if your family replaces your active walk with me, I will deny you before the Father. You understand? This is being told to believers. You deny me, I deny you before the Father. And then he goes into what the proof of denial is. What's the proof of denial? He gets into the issue of father and mother. You see, it's easy to say, I am faithful to Jesus, I'll die for Jesus, I'll lay my life down before Jesus. It's really easy to say that. But the proof in the pudding is, when it comes to the most valuable relationships in your life, will you give your loyalty and faithfulness to your walk in Christ, or will you give your loyalty and your faithfulness to your family? The reason why the majority of the husbands of godly Christian indwelt women go to hell is because these men, listen to me carefully, men, because I know there's a bunch of you that are listening, and I'm asking you to listen with your heart. You need to ask yourself the question, do I live off the faith of my wife? Everything is about my wife, the qualities of my wife. She's such a good woman. She's such a godly woman. She's such a great... Do you have this kind of walk with Christ? That's what Christ is putting before us in this passage. Because there's so many children that live off the faith of their parents. There's so many husbands that live off the faith of their wives that they have absolutely no clue how to have an inward-dwelling walk with Christ alone. In other words, if their wives or their mothers don't motivate them to have a walk, to grow, they don't. The real issue here is if you deny me, if you do not have a testimony, if you are not sharing my life with the world, with the public, with the community, it is evidence of denial. What we talk about socially communicates who we are internally. Are you with me? You can go to these social website pages and I can very quickly tell you what their identity is. Whatever it is that they're sharing, if it's about their dog, if it's about their mother, if it's about their job, if it's about a song, if it's about the way someone sings, if it's about fashion, they're communicating their identity. But if they are sharing the very life of Christ, knowing they're going to get rejected, Christ listens very carefully 
to that. And he will handle them before his father in like manner. So if you think denying Christ is saying, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, I'm not going to talk about him. If you think that's what he's saying, you're not getting this. He's saying, if, if you speak more of mommy, daddy, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, whoever, more than you do of me, you are denying me. And I will deny you before the Father. That does raise an interesting question on the indwelling life of Christ. And that's why we need to talk about it. The cross, Jesus spoke of taking up, bearing, carrying a cross. We have noted that the first century Jews of Palestine were well acquainted with the death of crucifixion on the crosses. Here's what history actually proves. After Jesus, even though the execution style of the cross was going on long before Jesus, it didn't start with Jesus. But here's what happened. Is when Jesus died on that cross... It started a fashion for Christians. And so there are certain Christians that said, I do not want to die in the fashion of my Savior. Peter, as an example. So how'd they crucify him? Upside down. There are four styles of the cross, if you remember us talking about that a couple weeks ago. The X style is yet they tie your limbs to the X and they basically torture you to death until you die. The T style is what us Westerners view of how Jesus died. There's the Y style. And you see some of these images in certain artists that have used the Y style, the T style, the X style you hardly ever see. Because it's the most vicious form. And this is what began to be practiced in the first century of getting rid of Christians is this X style. Because they'd say, I don't want to die the way my Savior died. So they're like, well, we've got one even worse. So if you've been taught that the way that Jesus died is the worst way to die... Now that is true, spiritually speaking, because of all the sin that was put upon him, all of the persecution, all the distresses, as uh, Jim Fowler has taught me, leads up to the cross. But the cross itself is not necessarily the horrific form of dying. There can be, could have been far more tortures done on that cross that he did not experience. When Jesus said, you will suffer as I suffer, and then more, and then some. This is what started to happen in the first century. Horrible forms of torture. Who's Polycarp? Polycarp was the beloved John's primary disciple. Polycarp is known in history throughout countries all over the world, but not in America. Polycarp was burned four times at the stake and his flesh wouldn't burn. He was tortured endlessly. And they finally held him down 
and a bunch of guys stabbed him 23 times to make sure his heart quit pumping blood. Now there are forms of torture that a lot of our martyrs have experienced through the centuries that Jesus knows exactly what he said was fulfilled prophecy. So we need to talk about why did we turn this, this, this symbol of execution into a fashionable symbol. It's very important. And is, is that or was that a, a ploy of the enemy to start making, putting gold on the outside of crosses? We have to talk about why is there some churches that left Jesus Christ on the cross? When Jesus said, do you re-crucify me? Will you make a habit of re-crucifying me? We have to talk about those details because they're fashionable to this very day. This is a huge problem in our society that has literally built us up into this emergent view of the cross itself. Someone look up for us 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20. I want to show you something. For he, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Okay, so here Jesus Everything that happened to him, everything about his death, everything about his resurrection, everything about the ascended life from that day forward was predestined before man took his first breath after God breathed breath into him. So even before he went to the cross, he made statements like, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and, well, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. The uniqueness of, of his own cross had not even occurred yet. So you think these followers of Jesus automatically understood what it meant to deny yourself, pick up your cross and, and follow me? They had absolutely no clue what he was talking about. And that's a part of discipling someone. Many times you say things to them and they have no clue what you're saying, but in due time after the test of their love, they say, wow, that's what my discipler meant. Same thing with Christ. Remember Peter? I mean, when Jesus dropped the bombshell on him and said, oh, Peter, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And I'm sure Peter was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I'm going to do that? No, in a very covert sort of way, he probably viewed Jesus' words as not telling him the truth. Or using some kind of paradox or, or you know, different illustration to communicate some type of point in his life. No, it was going to be literal. And that's why one of the symbols that are connected to Peter is the rooster. 
So you see, Jesus always spoke of a reality before it entered the mind of a man or woman. It's predestined. All of these symbols, all of these acts within the symbols were predestined. So we got to look at the questions, plead the, uh, to the Lord for the answers on why did Jesus speak the term of the cross before he was upon it? What does it mean to take up your cross? Uh, was his cross our cross? Is that what he meant by taking up your cross? Is it the same cross? And why are we compelled to add to the work of the cross? And what is up with the co-crucifixion label? Because I don't remember being there. And what does it mean to have the exchange of identity? What, what is that really? When we go to these social network sites of a friend or a family member and we read things and we kind of go, where is their head? What are they thinking? But do you know the, the most popular form of communication today, and I'm not saying through texting, style of communication is either texting or using your social network or whatever the blogging or whatever the case may be, and you just rattle off what is ever in your brain. And it gets posted and sealed with what we call an internet imprint forever. You see, we'll believe that over God saying whatever proceeds out of the mouth of man is recorded in the book of life. I know very few believers that believe that. If I read the verse to them, they'll say, well, of course I believe it because he said it. But they don't understand it is a literal imprint upon eternity. But they'll believe that with a social network. If you try to show them how net, the internet works with imprints, they begin to realize everything I have posted, every picture I've posted, every stupid word I posted is there until man doesn't breathe anymore. They'll believe that. But they won't believe the whole thing about whatever proceeds out of the mouth of man is recorded in a book of life. Identity. I dash dent imprint. You social network people need to ask yourself a question today. What imprint are you putting on the internet? What imprint are you putting on the, the emails and the text messaging? Do you know that an average young teenager, not the older ones, we're talking 12, 13, 14, do an average of 5,000 tech, individual text messages a month? Now, I do that and more because of ministry. And I can't imagine how to, you take those numbers and put it into a teenager's life and go, what are they saying? That's a lot of texts. Divide that up into one day. What are they saying to each other? Whatever comes to their mind. It's a problem, guys.
So we need to talk about it. Profile of the man. Those of you who are listening uh, through our podcast, please keep in mind you can click on that PDF symbol right next to the microphone that you clicked on. And if you were not given this podcast via our website, you can go to our website at www.iomamerica.org. And if you look right there to the left on our homepage, you'll see our library. Right next to this message is a PDF symbol. Click on that. It'll actually take you to this uh, printed version of uh, our presentation today. Scroll down until you see a diagram that says Profile of Man. Laodicean Unsaved versus True Believer. So here's what we got, folks. You're born physically and you go through life... And Jesus is going to be very forthright on putting the cross before you. So it may be at a youth rally. It could be from just a Sunday morning service. It could be today for some of our listeners. The cross is put before you. He is faithful to do what he said he was going to do to all of mankind. Is to make the pathway obvious. Now what someone does with that obvious becomes pretty important. Some come up to the cross or they're approaching the cross and they realize this person is trying to lead me to Christ. And every past doctrine of everything they're ever trained in just floods forward. And they go, not today, thank you. And they take the unsaved pathway and they know it. And then they think that they are clear and God starts to bring them down to the end of themselves again. Faces them with the cross again and hopefully they receive Jesus Christ as the indwelling life. The second type is they come to the cross And they see, they hear, they know that everything that's being presented to them is truth. But see, no one really shows them that the decision of the inward dwelling life of Christ is literally going from external to internal. There are many denominations in our world today that do not teach you must have the internal indwelling life of Christ in order to be saved. Well over 70% of all Christian denominations or belief systems or branches do not teach the indwelling life of Christ. They teach following Christ. That's a problem. Because that's when you hit the cross and it's almost doing its effective work and you pull around the cross and you think you're saved but really you're unsaved and you're of the Laodicean church. Someone please tell me what Jesus said out of his own mouth what he's going to do with the Laodicean church. He's going to spit them right out of his mouth. There's no ingestion. There's no digestion of the word, the life of Christ. And so this person must be led back to the message of the cross. 
It's not a separate cross. It's the single message of the cross. Because Jesus is faithful. He wants to show you, you didn't really get it. You became a very active follower of Jesus. Not indwelt by Jesus. So when someone says to me, I don't remember the day of my salvation. I said, that's a problem. I'm not saying you weren't saved when you were four or when you were 14. I'm just saying that before you can explain salvation to someone else, you better be able to explain the moment of indwelling life of Christ. Or you are assisting in building the emergent church. Because you got to remember that even though he re-offers the cross before you die, as a Laodicean, 90% of them shoot off and say, not for me. That's not how I understand salvation. Oh, you're one of those Baptist kind of guys. I bet you believe in born again stuff. No, I don't believe what Jesus said. No, I don't believe in the terms that he used. Yes, I do. In order to have a rebirth, you have to die. And new life has to be rebirthed after death. That's what the whole cross is about. Where he said, I'll do all of the eternal dying for you. I'm going to offer you partnership in this death, burial, resurrection, so you won't have to go through it. Stephen, the reason why you have no memories of being on the cross with me is because I took it for you. That's the key piece. Then there are others that come to the cross. They see it, receive it. And whatever understanding they do, they receive the indwelling life of Christ. And they move forward and they go through periods in their life starting to walk after their flesh. They just need to be led back to the power of the cross and grow as an indwelt believer. Let's talk about the effects of the cross. The effects of crucifixion of Jesus were a partial God-sized reality. Right? When something is complete, as we talked about last Sunday, it's done. Now, if I go out and do a job and I come in and I say I completed the job I was asked to complete and my supervisor goes out there and says, no, you didn't quite complete it. The reason why it wasn't quite completed is because of my humanness. But if Christ completes something because there's no sin dwelling within his mortal body, his obedience is going to be 100% obedience. Therefore, it will... His work will be 100%. Which is what we hope out of our children. So when it's completed, it's completed to the standard, the God-sized standard that God put on him. That's God's reality. So reading this again, the effects of crucifixion of Jesus were a complete God-sized reality at the time of Jesus' death. Burial, resurrection, ascension, and outpouring of the Holy Spirit into the believers at Pentecost and were personally realized individually 
at the indwelt Christian's conversion. So Pentecost was so incredibly important because we have our timeline being fulfilled of the finishing work of the cross. Everyone who was following Jesus, stay with me on this, this is so important because you're going to find the four primary denominations in the world today of Christianity. I'm going to show it to you. Everyone who believed in Jesus before the cross, they truly did believe in Jesus. But they were following Jesus. They were not indwelt by Jesus. So if they put a church denomination together on pre-cross, it's going to be an emphasis upon following Jesus, not being indwelt by him. Then the, the second little section is from when Jesus died on the cross to when Jesus ascended. Keep in mind, he was on the cross, in the grave, and that whole period was three days, and then there was 40 days he was on the earth, going to every community he preached at before. So if you built a denomination on that section, you're going to have some very strange doctrines in the church, which are in the church. Then there are those who have put the emphasis upon the church on the ascension of Jesus. Everything's about the resurrected life. Well, no, it's not actually. The resurrected life was very important for us to receive the completed finished work of the cross. So when the disciples asked, Peter in particular said, where's this gift? Jesus was getting ready to ascend and Peter says, where's this gift? And he says, I must go so it may come. See, it wasn't complete yet. So Jesus ascends. And where does the Holy Spirit descend? No, literally in the story. Where? Pentecost. Some churches formed a religious belief around Pentecost. They're called Pentecostals. You see? The final group formed a church together on the Reformation, which supposedly was to complete the message of the cross. And that's what we are seeing in our denominations today is the infiltration of all those together. But I'm here to tell you today, particularly my friends over there in Africa who are extreme Pentecostals, you need to embrace the full gospel. And the full gospel is not you having the second blessing of the Holy Spirit. The full gospel is all the transitions of the power of the cross into one decision. You see, when the Holy Spirit fell down upon those in Pentecost and they saw the little flame, I'll show you some symbols next week of what they sketched out in these, these uh, catacombs that actually communicated what they saw was when the Holy Spirit was indwelling them, started taking over their speech. 
And everyone who received Jesus Christ from that day forward received the full completed cross. And any denomination, any Christian who is clinging to sections of the cross, you are suffering with idolatry. It's a completed work that includes death, burial, resurrection, ascension, coming out of that tomb, ascending unto his Father and the gift being brought back to us. So if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And that's out of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Every indwelt Christian is called to accept the spiritual harmony with all that Christ has done and his spiritual identification becomes our spiritual identification with his death and his life. But see, we weren't saved by his death, contrary to the Baptist. What does the scripture say? We're saved by his life. Oh, just a slight little doctrine change. That slight little doctrine has literally monitored the church since the day the Baptist group formed. Which they say was within the first 300 years. That bad doctrine has been around for a very long time because it literally blocks the believer from understanding we're saved by his life. Here's some of the quotes from Paul about this whole issue of making sure that we understand that the old nature, as Malami was communicating accurately, is dead. The old self's dead. The old nature's dead. So, Romans 6.6, 6, the old man was crucified with Christ. Romans 6.7, he who has died has been freed from sin. Romans 7.4, you were made to die to the law. Romans 7.6, having died to that which we were bound. Galatians 2.19, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Galatians 6.14 says the world has been crucified with me and I to the world. Which is a very interesting piece of doctrine. Colossians 3.3 You have died and your life is hidden with Christ. There's a lot said about death. But if you focus your, your energy just on the idea and terminology of death, you will live a life from the tomb. Or hanging on the cross going, woe is me. Or maybe let's draw a picture of leaving Jesus on the cross and fashion that symbol. You see what I'm saying? We just need to review the snapshot of the death process so that we can inherit the snapshot of the completion and the completed finished work of Christ and understanding experientially that we truly have been saved by his life.
cross, behavioral implications, our spiritual identification with the crucifixion of Jesus does not have behavioral implications. It can have behavioral implications if we are mimicking the power of the cross, which I'll get into in a little bit. You can literally, behaviorally act out what you're reading is truth. In fact, the whole world functions on making money off of people believing what you say. The whole world's about that. Every educational institution's about that. Is to make money off of what you say. Hopefully to get them to change their behavior so they have a testimony to say... Well, this Nutrisystem literally changed my life. And when I hear commercials like that, I'm like, really? So you go to hell healthy? Is there value in this, what you're doing? But that's the world that we do live in. Not in continuing application of Christ dying, and that's kind of looking to the dying process of Christ on the wall of course, we gold-plate it, and we reappropriate over and over and over the dying of Jesus Christ. So it's not in continuing application of Christ dying as the the world of Catholicism has done, but rather only in the in the consequent. Yeah, the consequences of spiritual identification and participation of the finished work of Christ. So if you could just try to picture that the finished work of Christ is like a pie and all these sections of what Christ went through to bring the completed finished work is a full pie. That's what's being presented to us. All these pieces are critical pieces to complete the whole. So there's not a behavioral, there will not be behavioral implications as the life of Christ is lived out in the Christian. It is his behavior that is lived out in the indwelt believer. So I just want to double clarify. Those who are not saved, but are followers of Christ, you are using behavior to replicate what you read. Or are told about the life of Christ. You're replicating. Humans are nothing more or less. And I hope I don't insult anyone on this. Humans are nothing more or less than puppets. So the question you got to ask yourself is who's got their hand up your back? Jesus himself said whatever you see me doing is not I who does it. Someone want to finish the verse? my father doing it Jesus himself says whatever you hear me saying is not I who speaks but it is my father. my father who speaks now I'm kind of humorously using the term puppet whereas the scriptural term that is used is instrument it's an instrument we are instruments so we must ask the question who's teaching us what are they teaching us who has their hand up our backs? Because humans are designed to be instruments. They're not designed to be independent gods that has control of their own lives. 
We are designed beautifully as puppets that are ready for another life to be slipped into us to speak, act, move, talk, express. And in the end, the question is going to be answered for you. You won't need to ask the question, is what God was up my back? It will be answered for you. It'll either be the life of Jesus Christ, or it will be Satan himself. There are only two master puppeteers. Insultive, it sounds like, for some people, the worst kind of insult. But for a guy like me, who happens to love puppets, I say, bring it on, Jesus. The more and more that my will, the difference between the two in this illustration is, can you imagine having your hand up a puppet's back that has its own mind, will, and emotions? And it's constantly fighting you? It's going to look like it's possessed for Pete's sake. The will's fighting the will of the master puppeteer. And that's kind of a good illustration of what our lives look like sometimes. So having been crucified with Christ, we should no longer be slaves to sin, Romans 6.6. 6. In fact, these are all the verses I just shared with you on the previous slide. So we have the ability now to bear the fruit of God, not ourselves. We serve in the newness of the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit we live by the faith of the Son of God. We walk by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what comes forth. It's got nothing to do with us. So every, every identity statement is about someone else. And honestly, that's just a little too much for most of us. We want to be our own individual person. So here's this puppet thing I was trying to show you earlier. Christ in us works through the perfected part of the third of our identity, and that's our spirit. He literally perfected the spirit part of our life. There's no flaws, there's no blemishes, there's no sin, there's nothing against God in his regeneration of our spiritual lives. We are perfect in Christ, in the Spirit. Okay? So Christ moves through the Spirit into the mind to renew our minds because our minds, our wills, and our emotions are not perfected. We remember sin. In fact, our wills continue to choose sin that's inside of our mortal bodies. Every cell in your body, stay with me, particularly you health people, every cell in your body is commissioned, ordered, and forced into submission to die daily. There is no human anywhere, and that's why they are tampering with cloning. There is no human that is able to reverse that process of sin that is in every cell of your body. Nothing can be done. I have never met, read, 
heard one testimony who of someone who has beaten daily dying. Never heard it. I've never heard any testimony of someone 1,622 years old because they learned the craft of turning the human cell into multiplying year after year after year after year after year. Some of the greatest scientists of the health industry die of cancer every day. You see, this body that houses our soul and our spirit is commissioned to die daily. Paul said it, Jesus said it, Peter said it, you shall die daily. The body has to go to the grave and permanently lay in the grave. I'm going to show you some of the pictures in the catacomb of dead bodies that are worshipped by the Catholic Church and some others. Of some actual churches that built festivals around worshipping the dead. Because their bodies, as in skulls, and some with still the skin on them, survived the complete death process. That's just craziness. But it's not. Because that is literally what our world is trying to do, is slow down the death and dying process. Okay, now I'm going to work your brains. And if you are listening on our podcast, text me 602-292-2982 and text me the occupation that actually is successful at stopping the process of death. Anywhere in the world, any occupation. And I did get one from England. This was last year sometime on cloning. But it's not working and it's not going to work. And plus it's not stopping sin that God allowed to be in the, in the bodies of men and women. Every occupation in the entire world, here's the challenge, every occupation in the entire world is an attempt to stop the process of death. Do you know when I vacuum this floor this week, it's to attempt to stop the, the deterioration of death in the carpet. Do you know if I don't wash the windows or sweep the sidewalks, it will not take long at all before nature consumes it and starts to kill it. If you do not take care of your car and have the mechanic do certain things to it, it's going to die. Every job in the entire world is to try to stop the process of death. Even preachers. Even teachers. Everything. Now send me that job, that occupation, to let me know you actually found a job that produces life. And I know I'm going to get a couple from the preachers because they think that by sharing the gospel they are producing life. No, you're not. You're introducing a pathway of life that will go on for eternity, but you've done nothing to stop the death process of the person who received it. 
There is no job on this earth that produces new life except for Jesus Christ. Believers bearing their cross on three different occasions Jesus made comments about the familiar action of bearing the cross under crucifixion. The object of the cross to which he refers does not have any reference to the particular cross he was about to deal with. Jesus makes a generic and figurative reference to the cross, to the action of cross-bearing, bearing your daily burdens that come with the indwelt Christian walk. This is not to be mixed with being crucified with Christ. So when you get up in the morning and something goes wrong, and then you're going through your day and another thing goes wrong, and then another thing goes wrong, and then you finally come home and, and your wife or your husband or your, your children say, well, how was your day today, Dad? Oh, boy. Today was horrible. Today was whatever. That is what is being referenced here. That's what's in your day. That's what the sovereignty of God has allowed. Pick it up and follow me in you. The indwelt believer doesn't walk after the Spirit externally. The indwelt believer walks after the Spirit internally, which then moves his feet. Big difference. One's performance and one is life. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, deny himself, uh, pick up his cross, take up his cross daily and follow me, that's what's being referenced. But he also tells us of those who refuse to do that and what that impact has on daily living, particularly with our relationship with Christ. So the cross demanding to deny oneself, the next question we've got to ask here is whether this commanded action constitutes a call for the indwelt Christian to die to self. Dying to self crucifying self, putting self to death, all come from early Catholicism. Stay with me on this, because I have a lot of podcasters that are Catholics. For some reason, you're very fascinated with the indwelling life of Christ, and actually, I get that. Because the majority of your training and equipping comes from external religious replicas. You see a cross and somehow that cross is holy. You approach certain things and the objects are kind of holy. You watch your priest go around and handle things as if they're holy. You watch a priest who's drinking wine and he actually thinks it's blood. And you, there's this constant external impact on what you believe internally. That's the idea. That's the idea to change someone's thinking. You've got to make it real in their external. But I'm here to tell you, this is such a critical piece because that particular religious belief system 
is actually put in front of the person. You stand, you kneel, you're praying, you're looking up at this cross with Jesus Christ still dying on. And you somehow appropriate change in your life by denying yourself, dying to yourself because you're caught up in the death process. Because your religious institute is forcing you to find life in this continuing, I must choose to die like Jesus on the cross. Instead of appropriating his work, finished the dying process, so that I'm not looking at a Jesus on the cross dying daily, I am appropriating a final act of dying daily. There's a big difference. And it's not just the Catholics who are guilty of this. There are other Christian Protestant denominations that have pictures of Jesus on the walls and crosses up on the front of their church. The only difference between the two, which has been traditionally for centuries, is the, is the Catholics keep Jesus on the cross and the Protestants took him off the cross. That's it. <laughs> that isn't the full gospel. The full gospel is no cross as a relic. And that's what next week's sermon's about. No cross is a relic. It's his life. As a result of all of the processes that God took his son through. That's the church. You see? But we get stuck in certain phases. And then call them churches or denominations. It wasn't until recently that I saw that using those terms, dying to self, crucifying self, putting self to death, implies that you have to still do something to have victory. So using those terms actually denies the finished work of the cross. Because you're taking responsibility for making your dying happening. Well, early, yeah, early on in, in my exchange life, I, I literally handed out scriptures and prayers that people needed to read daily. And so there's one particular book, Janie and I have been talking about yanking off the market, because that's kind of what it does. It gives people, you know, rosaries to hang on to. Protestant rosaries. If I just pray this prayer... If I just hang this on my refrigerator, you see what I mean? But the concept of teaching people how to pray is not a bad idea, which was the initial intention of the book. But I get emails, people saying I got delivered through such and such a prayer, and I'm like, really? Or I've been praying that prayer every day for three years now. So even the initial intention... Intention does not necessarily accomplish the final mission. Because humans like to hang on to relics. They like to go up in, into the catacombs and put their hand on the tomb. The resting place of a disciple. I'll never wash that hand again. Do you know how much, how, how much the... The Catholic followers had to pay 
to rub their hand on John the Baptist's skull? Three months' salary back during that time. Three months' salary so they could rub their hand on John the Baptist's skull. That's the kind of things we do. And it's not just the Catholics. I know Protestants that send out prayer cloths that the pastor supposedly wept over. And if you just keep this prayer cloth, he'll experience power from on high. Really? You're going to experience power from a napkin. But you say we got that from when they said that they took napkins from Paul and people were healed. See, they're trying to replicate something that just happened. And they're trying to make it into a system or a program. And I did have one of those experiences in Africa where I gave someone, I tore off a piece of my Bible because the guy wanted it. And I actually, by faith, believed I needed to do that. And I tore it off and I gave to him. And he's got a testimony about that. Now, would I start a ministry on that? No, that's ridiculous. But God does meet us where our weakness is. He just doesn't want us to develop a church from it. So here's the key. The phrase is often loaded down with other meanings and pressure to add additional actions, as Janie was saying, to the finished work of Christ. Those who use this phrase are often unclear as to what self they are encouraging others to die to. Is it the self of personal spiritual identity? Such an action would be apostasy. Is it the self of personal individuality? Such an action would deny the creation of God as individuals. Is it the self of the personal existence? That would be like suicide. I'm not worth living because of the way I am. Is the self personal resource such, such as to suggest the mistake and identity of spiritual gifting that God puts in us? Is it the self of personal interests or selfishness? Now this one we can appropriately deal with. What things are we using for personal selfish gain? Next week we're going to be taking on the topic of the symbols of the cross. And as I explained to our local listeners... I discovered some very fascinating facts about our disciples and how they were communicated about and how they communicated themselves is they personally assigned symbols in order to communicate so that the Romans couldn't figure out who they were talking about. So with Peter being a rooster... And they were communicating something about what Peter said. And if Peter was still alive, that was even more vulnerable. A would not know who this rooster is. I'm actually going to show you photographs of carvings that were put into these catacombs back in the days when they, many of them were still alive. Very fascinating stuff. Understanding the symbols of the cross and what we did to them... I think we'll give you great insight to the true message of the cross. Here's our identity matters statement for today. The phrase dying to self is often used to encourage humanistic works, works produced by 
self-life. Selfish life. To continue performance in order to live the Christian life versus the indwelt life of Christ. When it is used as a call to self-effort, and when it is implied that Christ's activity in, uh, through the indwelt Christian is dependent upon the actions of the believer, then those who teach this have effectively denied the finished work of Jesus Christ. Others advocate dying to self simply as a, a renunciation, a prayer, as I was just sharing, of the straw man of humanistic self-potential and exercise in denying the specific design of each of his children. So there's a uniqueness in viewing the indwelling life of Christ, and there is a blessing you get by inheriting the very view mind of Christ and begin to look at life externally through the mind of Christ from that day forward. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.